Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Good morning, those of you listening online and on the radio, and, and welcome those of you from our Mecca campus who are uh, watching live on video. So what an amazing day to be a Christian. Yeah? What an amazing day to be a Christian. I, several months ago, was talking with my good friend Scott Longyear from uh, Maryland Community Church, and he and I were talking about uh, upcoming sermon series, and, he, and, he, and I told him I was going to do this one called The Church That God Desires. And he said, well, how are you going to preach that? I said, right. Because you have to be completely not selfish. <laughs> right? You have to be completely about the Lord Jesus Christ, or you will never build the church that he desires. Friends, the church today is being built upon our desires, our wants, our music, the way we do things, who's in position, how long the service goes, all sorts of things. We want it our way. Now, years ago, Burger King had this slogan, Burger King, you can have it your way. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't know that it is. Because if you try to do something outside of their normal rank and file, they get a little bit upset or tell you they can't do it. Now, management would usually say, yeah, we can. But most of the people at the counter don't want to do that. You know why? It's not because Burger King doesn't want to do it. It's because the general people who work there or other places don't want to serve anymore. We become a people that are self-centered. I'm not, I'm not picking up Burger King or anybody else. I'm simply saying that's who we become as a society. And friends, you'd better believe <clears throat> if you're going to be self-centered as a society and in internally for yourself, even in the church, it's going to transform to that. And it should never be. In our sermon series, The Church That God Desires, today's sermon is staying devoted in difficult times. That's hard to do. Staying devoted in difficult times, right? It's, t it's difficult to do it because when you're going through trial and trouble and all these things, the last thing you want to do is to be devoted when you're weary and tired. And you're going to find out that devotion and commitment are two different things. We're going to talk about that today. Take your Bibles and turn with me, get it, believe it or not, to Revelation chapter 2. This series is mostly around the first several chapters of Revelation as we look at the churches that God talks to. Revelation chapter 2, talking to the church of Smyrna today. Scroll down to verse 8. Listen to what God says. And this is Jesus speaking, right? You're, you're, you remember that. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the apostle John, right, in a vision, 
and he said, write these things down. Amen? Right? Okay. So this is what, so Jesus is speaking here. Write to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and who came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison in order to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. My, oh, my. We could spend several Sundays in sermon material on this particular passage, couldn't we? Now, here's a question. How many of you believe that Satan and his demons are real? Anybody? And how many of you would also believe that they are constantly trying to disrupt your Christian life as well as the kingdom of God? Anybody believe that? Well, friends, to get the answer, we have to look at the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that not only are Satan and his demonic helpers real, but it also proves to us the latter. That they are absolutely in the business of disrupting your Christian life and building the kingdom of God. That's their aim. You see... Satan wants your worship. How many of you knew that? He wants your worship. He wants people of the earth, including those in the church, to worship him and not God. Well, Pastor, does the Bible say that? Yes, it does. That's his desire. That's why he does it. You see, he wants you to live in a way that is not pleasing to God. And when you do that, you succumb to it. That's what happens. You end up doing what Satan wants, and that's worship. I think we struggle to believe that sometimes. But that's what it is. And whether you believe it or not, he will do anything he can by any means necessary to entice you, friends, to choose his way. And here's the deal. If you choose your way, that's the same thing as choosing Satan's way. If it isn't God's way, then it isn't God's way. <laughs> and if it isn't God's way, it's against God. Yes or no? Friends with the world, with society, is friends with Satan. That's what the Bible says. And moreover, it goes on to say, when you do that, you are an enemy of God. Now, I don't know how we can look at it any other way. That's what it says. And so, if it says that I'm an enemy of God, then I am. But praise be to God, it gives us the formula not to be an enemy of God. And aren't you grateful 
that you don't have to be an enemy of God. Anybody? Right. So this message then strongly encourages us to remain devoted when we're under demonic attack. Because the demonic attack is nothing more than a ploy to get you off of your game plan with God. And on to Satan's game plan for him and through a roundabout way for you. Rick Warren is correct when he wrote the second book that he, that he put out called The Purpose Driven Life. He said in the first line, Pastor Bob, it's not about you. And sometimes I think we read it and think, but, but I want it to be about me. Right? But what if I want it to be about me? And God says, well, it can't be. Because if it's about you, then it can't be about me. And I have to be first. Every Christian has to know. It doesn't matter what church you grew up in. Doesn't matter what church you got saved in. Doesn't matter what church you attend today. If it's a Christ-believing, Bible-centered church, and you believe in Christ crucified and the Holy Trinity, if you believe in that, and most Christian churches do, well, well, if you don't believe in that, you're not a Christian church. But here's the deal. Every one of them, every one of them knows and, and believes that it has to be about him first. Every one of them. It begins there. Now, here's the deal. When we're under satanic attack, we struggle. And what Jesus is saying to us here gives us some ways of staying true to God when the times get tough. And they will. It isn't if they get tough, but when, as a Christian. In fact, a church that remains faithful and focused when times are difficult, is what God desires. He wants a church that's going to stand firm when Satan's all over us. Amen? It's not too hard or too difficult to believe that or understand that that's what God wants from you. He understands you're under attack, but he doesn't step back and say, it's okay, you can fall. It's okay, you can succumb. It's okay, you can compromise. God has never given us that provision. In fact, he said, if you stand firm, I will give you the crown of life. I want the crown of life. I want it. I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Herein lies your reward. I want that. That means I'm going to have to stand firm in the difficult times and know that God will always be with me and he will always give me the means to resist. In fact, the Bible says through James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that encouraging? You see, God never told us we wouldn't have difficult times simply because we belong to him. I think some people have this fairy tale Christianity. They think that when they become a Christian that difficulty won't come. No. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said the world will hate you because you belong to me. And here's the deal. It hated me first. <laughs> That's what he said. It will hate you because of me. And so God expects and demands us to continue to, to be devoted to him no matter what. Now, many people think devotion means commitment. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a sharp contrast between commitment and devotion. 
Yesterday at our men's uh, Christmas gift exchange, I shared with the guys this idea, and I stole it from uh, uh, another writer. I can't remember who it was. But he said, to commit means a pledge and thereby binding oneself to a word. To devote means to freely give a one's time and attention to a specific cause. Where, where I would normally say commitment, I have recently transformed my vocabulary to stay, say devotion instead. And I would agree that commitment is good. It's good to say, I will do it for you. Because it holds the promise and gives assurance to the person or cause that you wish to commit to. But commitment is by word and word alone. While devotion is about doing. And as Christians, we should talk the talk and walk the walk. Amen? So in his second letter to the seven churches of Asia... The Lord uses the Apostle John to give us some pointers to be persistent under pressure. Persistent under pressure. That's your keynote today. Be persistent under pressure. And this passage speaks to a couple things. First of all, who we serve. It speaks to what we will suffer. And it speaks to how we are going to be sabotaged in our relationship with Christ. That's what he's talking about in this short passage. Now, as Christians, friends, we're to serve the one who calls himself the first and the last. Amen? The one who was dead and came to life. Now, you know who that is. The first and the last and the one that came to life has to be Jesus. Amen? So that's who he's talking about. Okay? Moreover, we, just like the saints of Smyrna, are going to suffer affliction, we're going to suffer poverty, and we're going to suffer slander at the hands of Satan. Did you hear that? Jesus is telling us, you're going to be afflicted, you're going to be poor in poverty, and you're going to be slandered. Now, I don't aspire to any of that. I don't want any of that. But if I choose Jesus Christ, that's going to come to me because Satan's going to see to it. And if you don't have those things afflicting you, then chances are you're not that close to Jesus. Anybody? Because he's going to be on those who are tight with Christ much more than those who aren't. Agreed? That's words that Jesus is saying, so I'm going to take him at his word. Now, he's going to use demons and people to do it. Did you hear me? He's going to use demons and people to do it. Okay? But it all comes from him anyway. You get that, right? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody who wants to live a life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, it's not optional. Satan will see to it. It's a fact that when we serve Christ, we suffer persecution from those who don't serve Christ. Did you hear me this morning? It's a fact that when we serve Christ, we will suffer persecution from those who do not serve Christ. And we will always be Satan's enemy when we serve God. Did you know that? You serve God, you are enemy number one to Satan every time. And when you try to serve God, 
you will get Satan's attention. You following me here? Now, I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'm just telling you that's what's coming. And you know what? I suspect you've already experienced it. Anybody? Okay. You will get his attention, and he will come to visit. And your Christian life will be sabotaged by Satan himself. Anybody know that? Who knows it? Come on. Get your hands up. Keep them up. See, this is where you beat him because you tell him, I know your dirty work, man. I know what you're going to do. I might not know how you're going to do it every time, but I recognize when it's going bad, it's you. You did it. You're it. And I'm here to call you out because my eyes are here. Anybody? That's, that's how it operates. Now, our text tells us, I tell you, the devil's going to put some of you in prison to test you. Well, I'm not sure what that's going to be like exactly or when it's going to come. Maybe, maybe it's already happened a time or two, and I didn't know it. But the fact is, friends, just as Satan was busy in the church of Smyrna trying to discourage, divide, divert, and destroy the saints, he's also busy doing the same things in our churches today, even this one. Amen? Now listen, we might have different names on our signs in it on the front door, but the persecution from Satan is the same toward every Christian church. Amen? And we ought to be united together instead of against each other. Amen? Because Christians stand united. And that's how we de defeat the enemy. And this passage reminds us of where our spiritual supply and security are going to come from. And it does so by speaking to the wealth that we have in Christ, our resilience through Christ, and our rewards that we get from Christ. So to be steadfast in our difficulties, first of all, we have to be conscious of our wealth in Christ. I mean, how many of you think that you're rich? I mean, Jesus said, I understand your poverty here, but you're still rich. You, right? See, it isn't about money here. It's not about your investment portfolio. It's not about you know, the home that you have or if you even have one. It doesn't matter how many cars you've got. None of that or if you even have one at all. It's got nothing to do with any of that. That's not your riches. That's how the world measures it. That's how society measures it, but God does not. Because guess what? It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. When you meet him, none of that is going to go with you. And if it doesn't belong to you anyway, then you'll never lose it or miss it anyhow. You see? So whatever you have belongs to God because he gave it to you. So don't envy other people who seem to have more. Unless they have him, they have nothing. Isn't that the truth? They don't have anything. We have to be reminded, friends, of what we have. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm reminding you. And he opens this passage by reminding the church of who he is and what we have. Them particularly. And he tells them that he's the first and the last. He was dead but was raised to life. And essentially, he's reminding them that he has absolute power, he has absolute authority, and he has absolute ability. And if you believe in him and belong to him, all of that ability and authority comes and rests upon you. You have the full power of heaven upon you. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. There's been a few times in my life when I needed every bit of it, too. Yeah? 
And then after Jesus assures these people that he's aware of their affliction and their poverty, he says, but still you're rich. In other words, regardless of your earthly circumstances or financial status, no matter how defeated you feel due to your circumstances, you will be rich in him. For he will not allow anything to fall upon you that you cannot stand up under. That's what the Bible says. Oh, you may want to quit. You may feel defeated. You may feel like you can't go on, but you can because he will see to it because any power and authority that comes against you, he will give you that and much more in him. And all you have to do is stand firm and live it out. God will see to it. And I think this is something we have to be reminded of. Listen, life isn't always easy. Has anybody here figured out life isn't easy? Who, who's figured that out yet? Any, any college students in here, have you figured out life isn't easy? Yeah, right? Who has a job that they hate? Anybody feel like? Oh, you don't have to tell us. But, but, you know, but, but I suspect that, you know, you, you know life isn't easy. And maybe you're in a difficult situation in your family. Maybe you've got a kid that's going awry. Maybe you've got a parent that's kind of going awry, or you're the one going awry, and you think it's them. That happens all the time, right? But look. Life isn't easy. No one ever promised you that it would be. But sometimes we wonder, what's the use? You ever been there? What's the use? No matter how hard I try, how hard I work, there's never enough me, there's never enough money, there's never enough time, whatever. And if you think pastors don't feel that way sometimes, <laughs> I assure you that we do. Jesus told the disciples, how much longer must I put up with you? And I assure you there's been a pastor or two. <laughs> they looked at their congregation and said, Lord, how much longer must I put up with them? <laughs> Pastoring's tough too. Why? Because life is tough. And people are people, yeah? So you have to understand, friends, that this is part of it. And I've known people who are so defeated in life that they didn't care if tomorrow would come or not. Yeah? But as a Christian, no matter what difficulties we go through, we have a hope and a future, that, well, basically, that unbelievers don't have. We have what they don't have. Here's the beauty. At one time, we, we didn't have it either until we accepted it. And now we are tasked with sharing that with everybody who doesn't have it so that they can have it too. Amen? That's what Christ is trying to tell us. So even though it seems that those who do the wrong thing and come out on top the truth is that's only temporary I mean they, they don't get to take it with them and so the more I thought about that I thought you know what eternity is fantastic it is for us it, it, eternity is fantastic for the believer yeah for the unbeliever not so much oh they're gonna spend eternity it, it just isn't how they thought So we have to be reminded of what we have. But secondly, we have to remember what we have too. You got to be reminded of it. And you got to remember. This is important. Because remember that in Christ, we already are blessed with all the spiritual blessings he has to offer. We are, we've, already, we've already received them. He said so. Already received it. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms 
with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you think that you haven't been blessed with all of them already, you are mistaken. He says you've already received them. So what it means is you might need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> okay? You just might need a spiritual attitude adjustment. Because I've known people, you know, have you ever seen kids, this is a perfect time to use this analogy. Have you ever seen kids at Christmas time and they have this stack of presents around them and they open them all up and they get them all out and there's like a gazillion of them and then what do they do? Look around for more. Is that all? Uh, isn't that enough? <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a problem to want more blessings from God. I don't think it's a problem to want all the blessings he has, but when he's given them all out, <laughs> right? You need to be satisfied with what he's offered you because it says all the blessings are already yours. They're already yours. So have the right attitude about them then. You see, I, th I don't think it's that we don't have them all. It's that we want different ones. And you can see that at Christmas too. You can see the person that, you know, that, that, thought this up, and they got the perfect gift for this person, they had to sacrifice to get it, and they do it, and they give it to the person, the person opens it up, and they go, <gasps> thank you very much. And you know that they are not incredibly excited about what you gave them. And how does that make you feel? Knowing that you thought it'd be something they would be excited about, and you worked so hard to get it, and you and you had to sacrifice to do it, and you had to you had to you know go out of your way, or you you know you know what I mean, and they don't, eh. Hurts. And I wonder, in my own right, what God thinks of me when He bestows all His blessing. I go, eh. Right, food for thought, isn't it? And so you begin to think about that, and you think, well, okay. Peter tells us that in Christ, we've been given everything required for life and godliness. Well, if we've been given everything, why aren't we godly then? If we've been given everything, why aren't we living a Christian life the way we ought to be? Amen? You, you see the point? So knowing Christ, according to Peter, helps us remain steadfast and constant in our difficult times. And it's stunning, I think, how quickly we forget what we have sometimes. And, and I'm going to use Christmas again. And I did it a time or two. But I watched it when my kids did it some. You know, they, they, when I was growing up, you know, everybody got the uh, Montgomery Ward catalog, the Sears Wish Book, you know, and uh, the J.C. Penney catalog, right? Who, who, who remembers getting those when you were younger? And everybody else here is like, uh, now. But and who, who's Montgomery Ward, right? Well, <laughs> right. So anyway, so we, there were seven kids in our family, okay? And so the girls got them first when they came in, and the boys got them last. And you, every, every kid would go through and circle things they wanted and put their initials by it, right? Who did that? A few of you did. And, you, and then you give the book to your parents and say, this is it right here. Yeah. And, and, of course, you aimed high, right? You would put way more things than you knew they were going to get, right? Because there was a gamble and a risk here. Because if you only went to the ones you really wanted, only put a few things, chances are you won't get any of them. So you had to put a bunch of things. Well, I want this, this priority. And then, and then we started color coding. Like, if it's in blue, that's what I really want. If it's in red, I'll take it. Okay? This really happened in my house. And the catalogs would get so filled with 
you know, writing. You couldn't tell. And then, then you're like, oh, somebody else wants that. No. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. We all have these things we just got to have. Every kid in your house today, and they're all next door, we can talk about them. So they, they, there's just something they just got to have. And they will pester the snot out of you, hoping you'll do it. And it doesn't end at parenthood, neither. Because they do it to grandparents, too. When the parents won't do it, they go to the grandparents. Has anybody experienced that? Grandparents, have you seen that? And they seem to think that you make more money than their mom and dad do. Okay? And so they want these things, right? And so, and, they, and, 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 and here's what's going to happen. I've seen it time and again. And so you break your neck getting it, even though you know you shouldn't, because you want to, and you do it, and they're all so excited, and you're the best things and sliced bread. And a week later, it's in the bottom of the closet, and they forgot all about it. This is who we are. This is what I'm saying. That's why we have to remember what we have. And I'm that guy, every now and then, I'll be at the store just tooling around because my wife and I are there, and I'll see something, I'll see a little tool that I think, oh, I'd like to have that. I mean, I don't need it right now, but, you know, uh, if the situation arises where I might need it, I'd like to have it. So it's on the shelf or in the toolbox, so I, I'll just, I can go and get it. Every guy thinks that way. Because we would rather have it in our possession than have to go find one when we need it. Am I right, Craig? 100%. Same thing with what? With pistols? Okay. Anyway, so you right, so you want, right, right, burn, right. So that, that's the that's guy thinking. But here's the thing. So this is no kidding. Uh, not real long ago, I saw this thing that I, I kind of like to have it in case a situation arose. And so, but I didn't get it because, well, I didn't have the situation. I thought, oh, I don't need to buy today. And then, no kidding, three days later, I, or maybe four, I'm digging around in a closet and I'm like, Huh. Had one. Somebody gave it to me or something. I don't know. Or I bought it another time, thinking the same thing. There it is. Didn't even know I had it. If you don't know you have it, you don't need it. Okay? That's life. If you don't, if you don't know you have it, you probably don't need it. But that's what I'm saying here. To stand firm during your difficulties. You have to be conscious of your riches in Christ. You got to know what you have in Him. Amen? Secondly, we have to grow and nurture our resilience through Christ. We have to grow and nurture our resilience through Him. Now, here, here's, here's a killer for me. Jesus says, don't be afraid. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's easy for you to say. You're Christ. Right? I, 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 I'm still kind of afraid of some things. And so I think that's a tough command to follow. Why? Because we are afraid. Come on, we are afraid. But here's Jesus giving this command, don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer. I have, I have news for you. If any one of you knew the future, and you came to me and said, oh, hey, don't be afraid, but you're going to suffer these things in the future. I'd be like, huh. Right? Because we are afraid. Who's afraid of the future or the unknown? Anybody? See, that's the biggest fear for people. 
the unknown. If we could control it or we knew it was coming, okay. But when we don't, well, that makes us fearful. But Jesus is calling on the church of Smyrna to be resilient. He is likewise, I believe, calling the modern church to be resilient. Listen, not being fearful and being resilient does not come naturally to us as humans. It does not. Courage and consistency have to be cultivated over time. Now, you can't get ready for the battle when the battle is already underway, can you? It's already started. And you, just, you have to adapt and overcome now. That's what Marines say. We adapt and overcome. And you can't prepare for the storm when it's already started. It's happening. Think about those poor folks in Kentucky and Tennessee. Ne had no chance to prepare. You see, you have to be already ready for the battle when it comes. Now, they didn't have that opportunity. But every single one of us in the church today, no matter what church you're in, you know the battle's coming because Jesus told you it's coming. He says, you be prepared for it. I've given you the means to do it. Now, I have two thoughts on this. One, not to be afraid sometimes can also be ignorance. I don't mean stupidity. I mean ignorance. Well, maybe it could be stupidity. But, but it starts with ignorance because I've known people who weren't afraid when they probably should have been afraid. And I call that false confidence. You know anybody who's falsely confident? Yeah. Right? And, and here, here's the thing. C certain kids have this false confidence. They fear nothing or no one. They will climb things and do things that they absolutely should never do. I have a boy just like that. And he used to do things that made, scared the snot out of me. Yeah, Frank, you know you did it. <laughs> <laughs> he had no fear as a child. He would swing from the upper levels of houses. or in the, It did it in the church that I pastored, too, with an extension cord, by the way. I, I, we're not going to go into things he did. But I'm going to tell you, he had no fear. He feared nothing. But I think, I think that's typically boys anyway. Young, for whatever reason, young boys, you know why they don't fear? Because they don't know the consequences. They don't understand what could happen. They have, they're, not, they're not there yet. So they are supremely confident when they shouldn't be, and they're not afraid. And people have been swept away in something because they didn't respect it enough or weren't fearful enough. And it's happened. So it can be that way. But see, Jesus isn't talking about that. He's not talking about that kind of fear today. He's talking about the fear of Satan. We fear Satan and we have no reason to. I'm not going to say you don't acknowledge he's out there and then he's powerful. But I'm here to tell you that the Lord you serve is way more powerful than him. And therefore, you don't need to be fearful about what Satan can do. Because what God can do is greater. And if you fear then the problem isn't with God. It's that you're not pulling down enough of God to not fear. If you're fearful of what Satan can do, then there's not God in you. You're not pursuing God enough. You're not, you're not fighting for God in your life. Because when he's there, you don't have anything to fear of Satan. Been defeated already. And as I thought about that, I realized that some of the toughest and most confident people have been afraid in their lives. I remember a, a war movie, I think made in about 1965, uh, John Wayne, 
played an admiral called uh, Rockwell Torrey. It's called In Harm's Way. Anybody seen it? Great movie. Fantastic movie. V pretty accurate, too. Uh, but in any case, uh, Rockwell Torrey was sitting on the bridge of a cruiser that he used to command, and he's the admiral of this battle group now, and, and one of his staff officers has never been in a sea battle before, and, he's, and he, he says he's so scared his bones were shaken. And Rockwell Torrey says, every sailor I've ever known who went into battle was afraid. Because that's the way it is. In one of my favorite movies of all time, The Last Samurai, Captain Algren tells a young Japanese boy, yeah, I've been in a lot of battles, but I was always afraid. Because there are certain things in life that we're going to fear. And if you don't have fear of those things, then you're probably overconfident, and that could be bad for you. But you have to understand something. God's not talking about that. You see, we're fearful of those things because we don't know what the outcome's going to be. But you don't have to fear with God because you do know what the outcome's going to be. Every time Satan comes to do battle, you know the outcome. You have already defeated him because Christ did. The victory is already yours. You needn't fear the outcome. Even if he takes your life, you needn't fear. You see, that's the key for me. But we're going to have to be in prayer and we're going to have to be in the word. Because you can't, you'll not hang on to it if you don't. We cultivate our resilience through Christ by spending time with him in prayer and being in the word of God. The more we talk to God through prayer and allow God to talk to us through his word, the more resilient we're absolutely going to become. Because he's constantly pumping the truth into you so that you know it. And I have, in my own right, have defeated Satan's advances when he told me a lie and I was able to go back to the scripture that I had hidden in my head and my heart and said, oh, but the Bible also says this. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of, the, of, of Satan. He threw Bible verses right back at him, which were the truth. And Satan, and then it says, and then Satan left him. I don't know how big of a bully Satan's being in your life right now. But if you resist, like Jesus said, you must. He's either going to flee or he's going to be defeated. Because the promise is yours. Christ said it, and more than that, he did it. He lived it that way. So you see, friends, our faith in ourselves has to fade into the background. And our belief and trust in Christ grows and takes over. Don't believe in yourself. Elton John said in a song one time, I couldn't believe in you and I wouldn't believe in me. Wow. How true those words are. And for the Christian, that really comes home. Now, Elton John, I don't think is a Christian. And I don't know how prophetic he, he, he knows he is here. But when you're a Christian, those words are true. You don't have to believe in those things because believing him is more important. And when this happens, our faith is made robust. Our wills are made solid through our engagement in the word and our prayer. And we have to take a cue, I think, from what the Lord told Joshua when they're getting ready to go into the promised land after uh, Moses had stayed behind. Of course, you know, Moses' leadership was done. He was going to die and be with God there, and Joshua was to take the people and go on into the promised land. There's a lot of reasons why that happened. I'm not going to talk about that, but 
He says in Joshua 1, 8 and 9, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything that is written in it. It's not one of those things where you can go and say, I have one of those, one of those, but I don't care about that. You can't pick and choose from the Scripture what you want to take and what you don't. You have to meditate on all of it. Okay? He says, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. I want to prosper and succeed in everything I do. Anybody? Anything I do, I want to prosper and succeed. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want him with me wherever I go. To be steadfast in difficulties, we must be conscious of our riches in Christ. you got to know what they are and remember them. You have to be cultivating your resilience through him. Because in your own right, you'll fail. You'll flop. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be game over. But like any farmer's garden or field, if you don't cultivate, weeds will choke out your crop. And that's happening today in the modern church. Because we're filling our spiritual and Christian lives with things, and maybe they're good things, but they're not what Christ has for us. And we need to get rid of the weeds and start cultivating and nurturing the things that he's given us. Which leads me to my last point. We have to concentrate on the rewards that Christ gives us. That's how you do it. See, there's a lot of things in life. Okay, so just, just for example, uh, every winter, uh, Indot wants me to go plow snow for them. Well, I, I have to tell you, I don't, I don't enjoy plowing snow. I don't even like snow. And you might think that I do it as a service to everybody on the road. I guess that's a part of it. But I do it based on the reward. I do it because they pay me $25 an hour to do it. That's the real reason I do it. Because it's, it's usually around Christmas time or after Christmas time, and you know, and then you can write, it helps out with Christmas. And when you've got 14 grandkids, $25 an hour is pretty good. So, you can see, and, and listen, it's not for everybody. It's hard to do. And there's been times I've been plowing out in the road, and I could have been out plowing in the middle of a cornfield. That's the truth. It's dangerous, isn't it, Matt? So, well, we're not all as good as you. But anyway, so, <laughs> anyway, so there's a reward before. I mean, most everything you do in life, you do for reward, right? Most of you probably wouldn't work for free. But here's the deal. We've got this thing in our minds that when we work in the kingdom of God and we volunteer and work in the church, we're doing it for free. No, you're not. Paul says you're giving back, which you can never repay what he did for you, but you're giving back a little back to him, which is your spiritual act of worship. You're required to work in the church of God, in your local church. Because what God did for you can never be repaid. Wow. It isn't about you. And you can't make it about you either. And he promises us the crown of life, if we'll only do it. I want the crown of life. That's my reward. That's what I'm looking for. It isn't for, 
kudos from you or anybody else. And it shouldn't be on your end either. You shouldn't want people to say, yep. Yeah. It should be because of the crown of life that he's going to give you. Jesus says in the text, be faithful to the point of death. I will give you the crown of life. And he's reminding us that serving the Lord will always pay off. More so than you ever thought it would. And the Lord will reward your faithfulness. James said that all who endure temptation will receive the crown of life. Paul said because he had fought the good fight, kept the faith, and finished the race, he would receive the crown of life. And so would all of those who wait upon Jesus appearing. That's what he said. Now, the promise of Jesus returning to us to give us this crown is absolute. I've heard people say, do you really think he's going to come back? I mean, my grandparents said it was going to happen in their lifetime. It didn't. My parents said it was going to happen, and it didn't. And I've been looking for it, and it hadn't happened. And I don't think it's ever going to happen. I assure you, it's going to happen. It's not in our timing. It's in his. But he's going to come. And when he does, you're going to get the crown of life, or you're not. You're going to get it, or you're not. Why? Because you are either in Christ or you're out. You're in or you're not. There's no middle of the road here. You're in Christ or you are not. Well, that's legalistic. No, it's scriptural. When Christ comes, he's going to rapture the church. And those who are in the church and they're still living will be caught up in the clouds and, and, and transformed immediately. Those in the grave, the graves will open. And those who are in him will, be, will come out and they'll be transformed and go to be with the Lord forever. And those who are not in him will stay in the grave or remain on earth. Is that true? Yes, it is. That's going, you're either in or you are out. That's what he says. Not my words, not my thoughts, and it doesn't matter what I think about it. And I can't say, well, Lord, you know, don't you think this, or what about, what about, it doesn't, hey, it's not my decision. Well, I think that's bogus. I think, well, you can think whatever you want. But God didn't ask you what you thought. He said, this is the way things are. And I've given you every means available to make it so that you're with me in eternity. So why wouldn't you choose it? So the promise of him coming is absolute. And here's the deal. He will deliver. He will deliver. But we don't have to wait for certain rewards because the Bible's clear that we're going to be rewarded even in this life. Paul says, I'm storing up riches in heaven. I'm gaining those things. I mean, I haven't received all of them yet, but God says he's given all the riches. I, I'm either going to get them here or I'm going to get them there, but either way, they're mine. They're mine. Might have to wait a little bit to get them, but they're mine. Right? They're mine. And he wants to reward your faithfulness even now, and he does. And he will give us even more rewards for our faithfulness when we stand before him. I know that because the Bible says so, and I believe him. So we have to search the scripture, discover all that God has promised us, and then we have to concentrate on those rewards and allow them to motivate us to remain steadfast even in the difficulties of life. And they're going to come. So this text promises a crown of life and the additional promise to never be harmed by the second death. And I like that one the most. Because when the second death comes, he talks about, I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't affect me. That's a spiritual death. That's eternity. I may die in this life, but I will not be harmed by the spiritual death that comes in eternity. That is, I'm immune to it. I'm looking for that. I embrace it. I grasp a hold of it, and I'm grateful for it. And as our worship team comes, Scotty, may the Lord 
help us to be conscious of our riches in Christ, to be constantly cultivating our resilience through Christ, and be concentrating on the rewards that we only get from Him. No matter what you're going through right now, remember that you will rest with Him. You will reign with Him, and you will reside with Him forever, if you choose it. And when the church is filled with believers who operate this way, we will certainly stay devoted in difficult times. And that's why God can say that the gates of hell could not stand against my church. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.